Okay, so we're, we're making our way through here. We're, we're past the halfway point in this letter. Uh, we'll be in 2 Timothy for probably another month, um, another four, four or so Sundays more than likely, three or four. Um, but we're getting close to the end of, of this series. We've been in 1 and 2 Timothy now since the fall. So we've been plugging away for a while. We did take a quick Christmas break over uh, to do uh, our Christmas series in December, but otherwise we've been in these two letters. Um, and so I think it's good just for us to remember why these letters were written. Like context is, is king when it comes to understanding the Bible. We need to understand what's going on uh, to get the right meaning for, of it. And so Paul's writing both of these letters to Timothy, who is a, a child of his in the faith. He's not actually his son, but he might as well be his son. He's, he's raised Timothy up to be a, a leader and a godly man and has played a pivotal role in his life. And now in 2 Timothy, Paul is imprisoned in Rome for the second time and the final time. Uh, he is, uh, he's really just looking down uh, the barrel at his own execution here momentarily. And he's writing this letter. This is the last letter Paul wrote that's recorded for us in scripture. Um, and and it's, it's really a meaningful letter. It's, it's basically fundamentally about how Timothy and the next generation after the apostles can keep going with the baton, carrying it to, uh, to the finish line and passing it on to the next group. And, and on and on we go, right? So it's about faithfulness to Jesus. It's about sticking with him keeping going in the Christian faith, which is uh, difficult because the world we live in is hard and sin abounds in our lives and all around us. And, and so we need the words of this letter to help us keep going in the Christian life. And so virtually every, every passage here is going to give us a different aspect of uh, living in a faithful and ongoing way with Jesus. Um, We've seen the, the importance of uh, the transformation of the gospel in our lives. That's the most fundamental issue, right? That the gospel changes us, and that's, that's the, the work he does in us. But as we get into it today, we're going to see this. We're going to see, the, I think the big picture is, if we're going to keep going in the Christian life, we need other people to help us. We need other people. It, the Christian life is not meant to be lived uh, alone, it is meant to be lived in the context of a local church, the people God puts around us to help us love Jesus and keep walking with Him. And so we need other people. But the point of this passage is going to be this: we need to make sure we're we're going after the right people, not the wrong people. There there are good examples and bad examples that Paul lays out here for us. The first half of this, really more than the first half, most of it, is Paul laying out the groundwork for what we should avoid as we look to people uh, and, and see their lives and how we should emulate or not emulate them. He's going to give us a bunch of negative examples um, to help us see what to avoid in, as we try to follow, follow Christ. If we're going to follow Jesus through the course of our life, we need other people, but we need the right kind of people. And we need to avoid the wrong kind of people. And I think what we're really seeing here is a, a truth that all of us, I think, would, would acknowledge that human beings are drawn towards uh, 
examples from others. We are, we are drawn to emulate people that we admire, that we look up to. Right, as kids, uh, we, we emulate heroes or maybe villains. If you're in my house, it's always villains. I don't know what that, what that says, but, <laughs> but my kids love the villains. So Darth Vader and all that stuff, that's who they emulate. But that's a problem. We'll have to deal with that eventually. Uh, <laughs> but, but they like to emulate, right? They, they'll emulate a lot, a lot of soldiers in my house, a lot of, a lot of um, criminals too. So yeah, there's that. But um, usually my youngest has to be the criminal and Jonah gets to be the, the, the cop. That works out. Um, but yeah, we, um, when we're teens, you know, we emulate pop culture. We emulate celebrities. We want to be like those people that we think are, are awesome and wealthy and, and famous. And right, we're, as we grow, we, our, our emulation matures into those kinds of things. Uh, as a, in, in the pastor world, you see young pastors and seminary students emulate the preachers that they think are, are great. So they try to preach like them. And uh, em- emulation and influences is all around us. Right? We want to be like those that we respect. And what Paul's going to lay out here is that there are a clear kind of people that we need to avoid emulating because their lives are not like Christ. Um, we, we need to find the people to help us walk with Jesus we need to find the people who are actually loving him and, and believing in him and trusting in the gospel. And, and those, sometimes that's obvious and sometimes that's more subtle. But that's what we need to do. And, and that's what this passage is going get, to get us to. So let's look at verse 1. Um, <clears throat> this, I think, is just basically the, the, the kind of preface for this whole section. He says, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So Paul's writing this from prison, from not just a, a, not a prison like what we think of, a modern prison, but he's actually literally in a hole in the ground with a metal grate over the, the top of the hole that keeps him in there. He's all alone. He has virtually no daylight. Um, it's just a, it's a very depressing place for Paul to be. And so Paul's, got a very clear firsthand experience even long before this moment of a difficult life following Jesus. He says, in these last days, last days in the New Testament doesn't refer to a future day. It refers to the current day between Jesus's ascension into heaven and his return. So everything in between those two events, the Bible calls the last days. So Paul's, Paul's basically just simply saying that in, in the days in which we live until Jesus comes back for us, there will come times of difficulty. And honestly, I think that one of the primary reasons that people uh, throughout all of history, but particularly in our own day, choose to walk away from the church or maybe even leave the Christian faith altogether is, is at least in part, I think, because they're not properly prepared for the fact that life is hard. We have, we've taught people really poorly in the church in our modern day because of the comforts we have in our nation. I think we've taken for granted these realities that life is difficult. The Bible says it right here in front of us in verse 1 of chapter 3. So instead of preparing people to know that and be ready for that, uh, we, we give them all these rainbows and unicorns and sunshine and 
and it's it's just not reality. And and so when that reality actually strikes, um, and difficulties come for for us, as the Bible promises that they will, uh, some people are really tempted to back away from this thing and throw in the towel. We we need to make sure we're not um, misunderstanding. The, the Bible teaches that this world is hard and walking with Jesus in this world is difficult, but we, we can uh, keep doing it. We can keep going if we, if we keep pressing into the scriptures and what they have to say to us. So Paul starts with simply that statement that in these, he wants Timothy to understand this. He wants us to understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And then verse 2, he says this, for people, so here's one of the reasons why there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. So Paul just goes through this long list, this laundry list of of character qualities that in, that, that some people are, are living out that we have to avoid and try to watch our own lives to make sure that we're being directed by the gospel so that we don't fall into these things. These are, these are things that we're all capable of as sinners. But, but what Paul's laying out is this, that there are going to be people in our lives who are not about Jesus. They're really about themselves. They live self-centered lives, not Christ-centered lives. And these fundamentally are the people Paul's saying we need to avoid. We need to not emulate. We need to make sure we're not being mentored by people like, like this in the Christian life. And so before we get to the, to the opposite of this, um, let's work through these, these verses a little bit. Um, fundamentally, what we're seeing in the first four verses is that people who do not have the gospel as the driving, motivating thing in their life, they're not believers, they're not really trusting Jesus, um, the, they have what, what I would say is misdirected, misguided loves. They have love in their life, but it's love for all the wrong things. The first one in verse 2 is lovers of self. They're, they love themselves. And the Bible teaches this fundamental thing that, that we, are, we are created to love, but we're created to love God first and foremost and our neighbor second, right? This is how the whole Bible is structured. This is how the Ten Commandments are structured. The first four commandments have to do with how we love God and the, the six commandments that follow are how we love each other. Jesus comes onto the scene and is asked the question, well, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and love people is the the heart of the 
Christian life that's been gripped by God's grace. And what we're seeing in these people's lives that Paul's putting in front of us is that they're not lovers of God or lovers of other people. They love themselves. We also see, secondly, he lists lovers of money. So they have a misguided misunderstanding of the material things that God gives us and how we can use those as tools, but we shouldn't treasure those things as our, as our gods. And then they have, uh, in, at the end of verse 4, they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So you have love of self, love of money, love of pleasure laid out here. And I think all the other characteristics that are presented to us really f- are, are flowing from those three misguided loves misdirected loves. What we're seeing is a love of self, and then he lays out proud and arrogant as some of the characteristics of these people's lives. He, he lays out lovers of money, and I think um, ungrateful would be an example of that. Um, we, we see, you, you know, you can just kind of look at this and probably put all of these into one of these categories, lover of pleasure. So what we're looking at here is Paul saying, don't follow people who are narcissistic, materialistic, or hedonistic. That's what he's saying. Narcissism is about yourself. Materialism is about your stuff. Hedonism is about you just having fun at all costs. And people who are motivated by these things. And I don't think that he's saying that you have to be all three of these things. Although I know we can think of people in popular culture who are all three of these things, right? Uh, Politicians and celebrities can embody all of these things at once. And the the heart that's completely uh, unchecked from from Christ can get there. But I think what he's simply saying is is look at the the lives of of the people you want to emulate. Are they narcissistic? Are they all about them? Do do all they want to do is talk about themselves and think about themselves and hear themselves and all the things? Like, those are not the kind of people you need to emulate. Are they materialistic? Are they living their lives as if money and, and things are all that ma- matter? As if all that they have right now is what, is what there is. That's, that's a problem. Avoid that. Hedonistic. We've got to avoid people who are just uh, out there doing whatever they want, however it makes them, just because it makes them feel the way they want to feel. We, we need to see people who are self-controlled, that's, that's one of the key markers of a Christian, right? That self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, not just a, a, a wild life. So we see they have misdirected loves. And, and then in this list, we also see that they have corrupted relationships. And I think those corrupted relationships flow from the misdirected loves. But look at some of the characteristics that they have about relationships. One, abusive. Abusive. You're not... You're not a, an abusive person if you're not a narcissist. Honestly, like that's what it flows from. It's you love yourself more than you love the people around you, so you're going to abuse the people around you if they're not giving you what you want. Fundamentally, that's the problem is it's a misdirected love, but it affects your relationships. Abusive, brutal, disobedient to parents, slanderous, treacherous, reckless. All of these characteristics that Paul lays out in these first few verses are, are corrupted, broken relationships because of the misguided loves that these people have. We need to avoid people that are not displaying the love of Christ, the heart of Christ, the, the things that we talked about last week, which were we need, to have, we need to have love, patience, and gentleness. 
right? Love, patience, and gentleness is what in the, just the prior verses Paul unpacks for us as we, uh, or sorry, excuse me, kindness, patience, and, and uh, gentleness. These are the things that, that Paul says, this is what a, the Lord's servant looks like. And so he's contrasting um, what that looks like, what we unpacked last week, to what people we should avoid are living like. And so there's misdirected loves, there's corrupted relationships. And then look at verse five. This one is very telling because this actually tells us what, what we're dealing with fundamentally. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So, so this tells us something very, very important. It tells us that the kind of person Paul's referring to is not someone who's, who would say they're not a Christian, right? So someone who says, oh, you know, Jesus isn't, isn't my thing. And yeah, if we would expect them to live uh, pretty self-centered lives. We would expect them to live with misdirected loves because their hearts haven't been changed by the gospel. But what Paul is actually saying, who he's talking about are not just your run-of-the-mill non-believer, He's talking about somebody who would say they are a Christian, but they actually display these these aspects in their life. They have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. So to deny the power of godliness, here's what this means. I think it's referring back to what Paul deals with all throughout his letters. He's dealing with a self-righteousness, a legalistic way of living the Christian life. To, to have the appearance of godliness is to say, okay, I, I'm a Christian and I'm kind of trying to look like I'm a Christian to some degree, but, be, but to deny his power is to say, I'm going to do all of that in my own strength, by my own righteousness. So the point of this is that it doesn't matter how religious we look. It doesn't matter how many times we go to church. It's, it's not about how polished we look on the outside. If we don't actually have Jesus, we don't have anything. If there's no Christ in us, there's no spiritual power in us. And so Paul is talking about a particular kind of person. He's not just talking about your average non-believer. He's talking about a person who would say they are believers, but their lives are an absolute train wreck. And that's why Paul says, avoid such people. He's not telling us that we have to avoid all unbelievers. That's, the, that's not the strategy that Jesus employs for his church. We're to be in the world. We're to engage with the world. We're to help people in, in, who are outside of Christ meet Christ. If we're not doing that, they're not going to hear the gospel and be saved. So it's not about just avoiding all people who, who are outside of Christ. It's about avoiding a particular kind of example of people, the people who would say they're in Christ, but, but they're actually displaying all of these horrendous things. The Bible's full of examples of these kinds of people. Um, Jesus calls them hypocrites. And a hypocrite in, in the original language, um, it means an actor. It's, it's, that's the word. It's an actor. It's somebody who puts on a mask on a stage and looks one way while he's performing and then is a different person when he's off the stage. And, and Jesus calls out people in his own day 
Um, he calls out the Pharisees and the scribes quite a lot for their hypocrisy. But there's one passage in particular I want to take us to. Um, it's Matthew 23. This whole chapter is, um, is a sermon that Jesus preaches against the Pharisees and the scribes. And sometimes we wonder, oh, man, Jesus was so loving and he, he healed people all the time. And why would they kill somebody who was just super, super loving and nice? Well, it's because he, he was very kind to sinners and he was very unkind to the religious hypocrites. And those were the people in charge. So that's why they killed him, right? Because he, he says things to them and about them that don't land well. Um, but we're going to just look at two samples here, uh, verse 1 to 12, and then we'll look down to verse 28, 25 to 28. But let me just give you a sense of it, because this whole chapter, he, he just goes on and on with this. But look at the first part. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So he's saying this publicly, out in a sermon. He says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but do not, uh, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their uh, flactories broad and their fringes long. It has to do with their, their robes, their religious garments. And they love the show. Uh, they, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no, call no man on, uh, on earth your father for you have one Father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So in that first part of the sermon, Jesus is saying this, that the scribes and Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat, and so they're, they're teaching the law of Moses. And um, Basically, Jesus says, yeah, so they're teaching the Bible, so you know, do what they tell you to do, but don't actually emulate their lives because they don't do what they preach. They don't, they don't actually do the things they tell you to do. And this is, uh, this is obviously a huge problem in, uh, in the church too, right, where a lot of times you get, you know, it's sort of a, it's a running joke, like do as the pastor says, not as he does, and people just kind of write it off like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll just do what he says, but not live. Like that's that's pretty that's pretty horrible, right? And I think we should all agree on that. Like, that's not the way we should live. But here he says, basically, he's laying out their motivation. Their motivation is they want to be seen, they want to be respected, they want to be called rabbi, they want to be referred to as father, they want to be referred to as instructor. And Jesus is going, you're all you're all equal. You're under me, right? And so that's, that's how this should work. There's no hierarchy here under Christ. Jesus is the top, and we're all brothers and sisters under that. And so he tells his followers, don't expect people to call you rabbis. Just, just 
love me and preach the word. Don't, don't be about the position. And looking down to verse 25 to 28, here's where he goes further. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So verse 25, he says, they're, they're full of greed, love of money, self-indulgence, love of pleasure. We're seeing that. Verse 27 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, <clears throat> but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Yeah, it's not a surprise that they crucified him, right? Like this is what he's, <laughs> this is what he's calling them. But he's simply pointing out the hypocrisy of their lives, that they look good on the outside, but inwardly they're not changed. They don't have hearts that love Jesus. They're, they're just, they're, they're doing whatever they're doing for their own greed, their own self-indulgence, their own love of self. And Jesus says that's, that's like being a whitewashed tomb. Like, yeah, you can, you can make the outside of a tomb really beautiful. It doesn't change what's inside. You can wash the outside of a bowl or a plate or a cup, but you're, if you're not cleaning the inside, it's still dirty and unclean to use. So that's an example of what we're dealing with. We're talking about a particular kind of person. We're talking about a religious, hypocritical leader. And Paul says, I think probably thinking through these same things that Jesus points out, he says, avoid these people. Avoid them. Run from them. Don't, don't emulate those people. Don't be like them. We also see in this passage in uh, verse 6 to 9 um, that these people, not only are they motivated by love for self, love for money, and love for pleasure, but they, they also use wicked, sinful tactics to try to lure people into what they're selling. It says, verse 6 says, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they do not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was with those two men. So Janus and Jambres are the two guys that uh, worked with Pharaoh to do the counter-miracles during the Exodus, or during the plagues. So Moses would, would do a plague and then they would copy it and kind of with a smoke and mirror trick kind of show Pharaoh, oh yeah, this, this isn't a big deal. We can do this too. So anyways, he brings these two guys out. But, but notice what they're doing. He's, he's talking about the, the tactics that these people are using to get people on their team. And it's a very particular situation and I think it's, it's particular to the, the time in which Paul's writing maybe less so to our own time. But in what he's bringing out is that they're going into households and he says they capture weak women. Now, don't be offended by this, okay? What he's talking about is that the women in, in Paul's day, Timothy's day, they were not educated. They, they, women stayed home. They weren't taught anything. 
in, in the Roman world and culture, it just wasn't a thing. So these guys would go in while husband or father's at work and would, would basically manipulate these, these people, these ladies, into running off with them. And there seems to be some here, this, this various passions thing is probably a reference to some you know, sexual sin involved in all of this. So, um, so Paul's just pointing out what they're doing in this day and how the, it's wicked, it's evil what they're doing. He's not speaking generally of all women everywhere, but he is saying that these particular women were vulnerable and, and easily um, you know, manipulated into following these men. And today we see different tactics being used by false teachers, but the, the motivation is still the same. It is to find those who are vulnerable and whether that be people who are desperate for healing or be people who are desperate for financial help or whatever it is, they find that thing in that person's life. This is how it happens today. They find that thing that's going to, and they try to give them some sort of golden ticket to get out of their problem and manipulate them into giving them, you know, you think about these, I I think this is how, where my mind goes is these, these preachers on television who will tell you, um, man, if you're, if you're struggling with finances, uh, if you just give the Lord what you have, he's going to give you a hundredfold back. And so what ends up happening is these people get manipulated into thinking, if I give this, this you know, snake oil salesman my money, um, I'm going to get that money back somehow. And so they end up like taking people for, for all that they have because they're lying to them. That's one way it manifests in our day. It's not the only way. But, but Paul is simply saying we've got to avoid these kinds of people because their, their lives are a train wreck. Their relationships are a train wreck. Their, their tactics are, are totally messed up. Their faith is just a display. It's not genuine. And here we are. Let's avoid these people like the plague. If we, if we emulate them, in, their, in the way that they live the Christian life, we're going to be train wrecked as well. So let's flip to the other side of this. Let's look at verse 10 to 13. Here's where Paul gives us the alternative. Verse 10 says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, here's he's giving us the contrast okay now paul is saying those are the people these wicked people that are displaying some faux fake faith are the people we need to avoid but the people we should emulate are the people who are actually living as if jesus is real and genuine and it, and and paul uses himself as an example to timothy because paul was 
Timothy's guy in this. So he's like, so basically he's not, I don't think he's patting himself on the back and saying, oh, I'm this perfect person. He's simply saying, Timothy, think about the relationship that you and I have had and, and, and look at how, how this is different as you follow my example versus these people's example. Look at my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast, my persecutions and sufferings. And he just basically goes through and it's like, look at the fruit of what's happening. And basically he's, his point is, follow that example. See, we may, it's easy for us to push this off and go, well, we just need to follow Christ. And that's true. But the reality is, is that Christ has given us people in our lives also to help us follow him. And thankfully, by his grace, he gives us people in the church that actually take him seriously, that are actually compelled and convicted by the gospel and are trying imperfectly, as Paul was imperfect, but trying their best, though imperfectly, to follow him. And it is those people in your life that you ought to look at and go, you know what, I should, I should try to follow their example. They're not perfect. They're not going to, they're not, that, it's not that they're ever going to fail. They'll fail sometimes, but, but I need to press towards the people who genuinely love him versus pressing towards the people who are just a train wreck. So Paul says you should look at my teaching, value that against the scriptures, look at his life, look at his trust, look at his patience, look at the way he loves, and compare all that to Jesus, right? We should be comparing ultimately using Jesus as the standard of our, of our lives and, our, and what we want to emulate. And so Paul's point here is this, that we, we need other people to help us walk with Jesus, but we need the right kind of people. We need the kind of people who are going to actually display the gospel in their lives. But I want to address one quick thing here because this is, this is something that I think uh, I've encountered and I, probably you've encountered it too. But what do we do when the Christians we admire um, or even ourselves fall and fail to live out the things that they, that they proclaimed? What do we do then? Because I think it's it's easy for us to to put all of our all of our chips, so to speak, into into the middle of this this person, like this is the person that loves Jesus that I'm going to try to be like. And what happens when that person fails? What do we do? Well, this is very very important. We've got to stop doing that altogether. <laughs> We've got to stop basing our faith on a sinful person and base it on the perfect life of Christ. We need to look at Jesus. If we're putting our hope and, and the basis of our Christianity on a pastor, a ministry leader, an author, a friend, a person in our church, or whoever else it may be, if we're putting all of our, all of our eggs in that basket... Well, that's a flawed basket. That, that basket's going to have the bottom break out eventually because we're sinners. But what we must do is depend on the, on the true Savior of the world. We've got to go back to 
what Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2 says, that we, we need to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who we have to keep our eyes on. It should never shock us. It can disappoint us, but it should never shock us that a Christian fails to be a perfect person (laughs) because you're not a perfect person either and neither am I, right? So it should never shock us. It can disappoint us. We can be saddened by it, but we should never put all of our hope in that. We put our hope in Jesus who died to save us. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians who were very prone to hero worship. And they were wor- some of them were worshiping in a sense, kind of worshiping Paul. And some were worshiping kind of sort of emula- wanting to emulate Apollos. And some, some were going for Peter and some were just trying to be going after Jesus, the hyper-spiritual ones, right? Um, but here's the thing. Paul says, listen, was Paul crucified for you? No, Paul wasn't crucified for you. No, no human being in this room was crucified for you, but Jesus was. And that's why we have to keep looking to him. And that's what will keep us firmly grounded in the Christian life for the long haul. So we look to Jesus and pray that he puts godly men and women in our lives who can help us along the way. All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have loved us and cared for us, uh, that you have ultimately taken all of our sin upon yourself to make us right with you, to, to bring us into fellowship with you. But we pray, Father, that um, you would provide for us what we need to keep going, that we would keep looking at you, but that you would also put people into our lives who can help us keep going. And I just pray that that this church would be a place where people can see good examples, see positive things to emulate, but not to hero worship anyone, but to worship you as the God of all. So we pray that you would help us in these endeavors and we ask that we would go from here with, with changed hearts and minds. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.